Again, I just want to um, thank our, our church family for um, all the well wishes, uh, text messages, uh, private messages uh, that, that were sent um, during, uh, uh, after the time that my dad passed away uh, two weeks ago. It really, uh, it's hard to express into to words what it, what it means. We, we had, he passed away uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, yesterday, and I had had a flight planned uh, for two weeks ago today, for, for the following Sunday, uh, to go up to do kind of an approved visit with the nursing home. And so when he passed on Saturday, I decided to go ahead and keep that flight uh, and go up and help my sister uh, make some arrangements and kind of get everything laid out that way. And uh, I'm here to tell you, it was a rough flight. Um, and uh, we took off from Chicago uh, to fly to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And if you remember anything about uh, two weeks ago uh, today, it was quite windy uh, that day. And uh, we were in a small plane. And to be totally honest with you, mainly because of my petite size, I don't really like flying anyway. Um, and uh, so I don't really love being in airplanes to begin with. And so we uh, were uh, in flight on a very small plane and the turbulence was just really, really terrible. And I've never been on a, on a plane before where there was crying and people getting sick and people praying and stuff like that, but that was this flight. I mean, the turbulence was, the turbulence was that bad. And we got about 20 minutes outside of where we were gonna land. And my sister says, who lives up there, just kind of came out of nowhere. But these gusts of wind, 50 miles an hour, just kind of came out of nowhere. And you felt them in the plane. I mean, you could feel the plane. The plane was doing this, and then it's doing, you know, you know, the, this sort of thing. Very, very unsettling. I don't get nauseous on flights, but I started to feel a little, a little sick. And he came in for the landing, and uh, I really should have asked because I'm curious about how close we were to the landing strip. It felt to me, just looking out my window, like we were about 20 feet from the landing strip, and you know, the plane's kind of coming in like this. And uh, we were about 20 feet down, uh, 20 feet away, and all of a sudden he just takes us up, uh, back up into the air. And uh, after a couple minutes of being up in the air, he comes on, the, the captain comes on and says, you may have noticed we didn't land. We did notice that. Um, and the lady beside me puking her guts out really seemed to notice it. Um, uh, he says, you may have noticed that we didn't land. We, we didn't notice. He says, so I'm getting, I'm getting all over the runway. I'm getting pushed all over the runway. I really feel like it's unsafe to land, but what, what I wanna do is I wanna give it one more, one more try. And so we're gonna circle back around. We're gonna try to land one more time. And uh, if I can't land it successfully, if I can't land it safely, I'm gonna have to take you back to Chicago. I just don't have a choice. There's audible groans, people are upset. And uh, he says, that, that's, that's just what we have to do. And then here's the line I'll remember for the rest of my life. He says, that's the plan. I think we have enough fuel to do all that. You think? If there's any question in your mind, let's just go back to Chicago. I'm cool. I would rather land in Chicago than Lake Michigan. So, you know, let's just go. And so he does, he does it though. He swings back around. He goes in for the landing. We're coming in like this, about 20 feet off the runway. Back up we go, off to Chicago, people crying, they're upset, um, saying bad names that I won't repeat in church, stuff like that. And uh, so we go back to Chicago, they give us a night in a hotel room, they get us all rebooked for the same flight the next day, first thing in the morning, the flight leaves at like six o'clock. Uh, so I woke up at three, just I wanted to make sure I got a shuttle because they were concerned about how many people were gonna be on the shuttle. And uh, so I got there, we take off, 
And that flight is rough too. Like we're kind of bouncing all over the place, getting wind or, or whatever. But we finally get to the upper peninsula and he brings it down and uh, he safely lands. And there was an eruption of applause when we touched down. That people were so, so grateful to finally be on the ground. And I was too, to be totally honest with you, when we landed back in Chicago the night before, Cheryl will testify to this. I called her and said, listen, I'm gonna go to the hotel. Um, I might rent a car and just come home tomorrow. I'm not sure I'm getting back on a plane. Ever, ever. <laughs> so I sucked it up and, and, and made it happen and, and was glad. But when we landed that plane, there was just an eruption of gratitude. And here's the deal, guys. I think gratitude, gratitude is a hard thing to maintain anyway. Um, gratitude, believe it or not, it can actually be hard in really good years, let alone the type of year that we're all having. Gratitude can even be challenging in good years. I'm reminded of a text where God is speaking to Old Testament Israel about inhabiting the land that he had promised to them. And he kind of issues a warning to them about forgetting to be uh, grateful and forgetting to express thanksgiving once they're in the land that he promised. Let me show you this text because it's really interesting. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving to you uh, this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, look at what he says will happen. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He's getting very specific, right? He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that it might go well for you. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So even in a good year, God says, gratitude and thanksgiving can be challenging and hard, let alone a year like 2020. Maybe you find yourself in this very challenging year. Maybe you have found yourself this week where you weren't able to do Thanksgiving the way that you wanted to do it. You weren't able to, to see family or friends. Maybe you find yourself during this season frustrated, discouraged, worn out, and gratitude and Thanksgiving. They are just hard attributes to find right now. Maybe the easy attributes right now are complaining and arguing and anger. Those feel like they're just, they're, they're easy to grasp right now. Thanksgiving feels really far away. And I remember, I told you this story before. I was talking to a buddy of mine in ministry early on in the pandemic. And I said, you know, how long does, so this is like probably like March. And he's like, how long does your church think this is going to go? He says, well, we're planning on it kind of going to Memorial Day. I remember having this reaction, like, you're crazy, Memorial Day? There's no way this thing goes to Memorial Day. I thought, it was, I thought it was crazy. And then Easter came and went. And Memorial Day came and went. Fourth of July came and went. Labor Day came and went. Halloween came and went. And now Thanksgiving has come. And it's went, <laughs> Right? And I have experienced a ton of frustration, and maybe you have too, 
Uh, it, it's just hard to, to pull up Thanksgiving. Open your Bibles to Philippians 4. I want to show you this text. Since I announced that I was preaching on this text, uh, I found it really heartwarming how many people have told me that this is their favorite text in the whole Bible. Uh, so it's kind of a cool one to be preach, preaching on. We actually have part of this text etched into a wall into our house. But maybe even harder this year than Thanksgiving, I, I think, is calm. Because in addition to being really, really frustrated, a lot of us are really, really anxious. And believe it or not, the Bible marries these two ideas kind of together. The idea of thanksgiving and peace. They're kind of married together in the Bible. So it is of no surprise to me that a person or a culture or a community that is struggling with thanksgiving would find itself struggling with peace. Because you find these together in several texts. This was going to be a little longer series uh, than it was before my family kind of situation unfolded. Um, I really appreciate Mark uh, preaching on Thanksgiving last week. But we were going to look at multiple texts where you see this marriage. But today I want to look at Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, there's peace again, the God of peace will be with you. Paul starts out, do not be anxious about anything. And to be totally honest with you, it seems like an impossible task. Where it's like, Paul, like, have you, I know Paul didn't have the internet, but have you read like the, the newspaper at least, right? Do not be anxious about anything. The world is troubled. The world is in chaos. The world is difficult right now. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you crazy, Paul, that, that in a time of pandemic and economic uncertainty, there is just a lot of on our shoulders. And for Paul to say, do not be anxious about anything, it may seem impossible, but even beyond impossible to you, depending on where you're at this morning, it might seem offensive, right? I, I have found a number of people, especially early on in the pandemic, when you would try to reassure them with these wonderful truths like God is in control or, um, you know, God is sovereign and those sorts of theological truths, uh, they would get almost offended at the reassurance. It's like we wanted to hold on to our fear and, and, our, and, and our anxiety. And listen, you would never describe Paul's life as easy street. If you kind of have this thought that maybe Paul didn't know what he was talking about, you would never describe his life as an easy street life. Paul knew something about difficult days. He's writing this letter, Philippians from prison. He'd been through a lot of stuff in his life. He'd been through political unrest. A lot of people may not remember that Paul uh, was operating under one of the craziest uh, kind of dictators in Rome in the history of the world. He had seen a famine sweep through Israel that was devastating. He'd experienced financial hardship and difficulty, and he wants us to know that peace is possible in the middle of trying times. You got to remember, Philippians is being written from prison. It's a prison epistle. That 
Peace is possible during difficult times, and it actually comes through the disciplined practice of thanksgiving. People that are thankful, people that express thanksgiving, tend to be the most at peace. He gives us two things to consider. The first thing is your prayer life. Remember what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The first thing Paul wants us to understand is, listen, you can pray to God about literally anything. I think the Psalms is a demonstration of this. If you uh, read through the Psalms, you will just see in the Psalms a brutal honesty, just brutal honesty with God. The psalmist is angry. They express their anger to God. Where it's like, man, I'm mad at this person. May their kids be dashed against the rocks. I've never prayed that. That is a harsh prayer. The psalmist did. Right? He was angry enough to express that. They, they're depressed, anxious, unsure. They express it. They're joyful. They express it. They need financial help, healing, other things. They express it. They want to respond to God in worship. They express it. There are these emotions and these feelings that we sometimes think, man, I feel angry or I feel vengeful. Or, or I feel angsty. There are these emotions that we don't feel free to express to God, but I'm telling you, God is inviting us to express it to God, to, to him. He's inviting us to do that. He's inviting us to bring it to him. Peter will say in the New Testament, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You're feeling anxious, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling angry, you're feeling depressed, cast it all on the Lord because he cares for you. And this thing happens when we express those things to God. When we come to God in brutal honesty, there's this thing that happens and he begins to give us a new heart. You see, it is in, ex it is in expressing our anger to God that he can begin to heal our anger. It's in expressing our loneliness to God that he can begin to heal our loneliness. It is in expressing our fear and anxiety to him with, with brutal and reckless honesty. It is then that he can begin the healing process, and in particular, he wants to give us peace. But it comes through honesty. And peace is the thing we're longing for right now, and peace is the thing we're wanting, but notice how it happens. It happens when we bring every situation to God in prayer. And when the text talks about every situation, the Greek literally means every. But notice the tagline of it, that we bring every situation to God in prayer with thanksgiving. That we're absolutely bringing everything to God. We're being honest about where we're at, but we're also finding ways to introduce thanksgiving into our prayer life. I, I think I want to show you two prayers in the Bible real quick where, where this, uh, this is demonstrated for us, where the prayer, you, you just see them being brutally honest with God, right? Brutally honest with God about where they're at, but in the middle of it, they're weaving in this sense of thanksgiving, all right? So the first one I want to show you is Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all, delivers him from them all. He protects all of his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, uh, and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. So no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So when you read Psalm 34, you come to the obvious conclusion that either the psalmist is going through something or someone the psalmist loves is going through something. There is a certain level of angst in this psalm. But he weaves within his angst, if you read the psalm carefully, he weaves within his angst this sense of thanksgiving. Notice how he does it. The righteous cries out. I've got this thing in my life, the psalmist says, that I want to cry out to God about. The righteous cries out. So he's being honest about that. And then look how he weaves in thanksgiving. The Lord hears them. I'm brokenhearted, the psalmist says. This thing has happened that has, has left me brokenhearted. But the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I am crushed in spirit. This thing has crushed me. But God saves those who are crushed in spirit. And you see it all throughout the psalm. I think that we can sometimes have this assumption that Thanksgiving, especially in a year like 2020, is simply a denial of reality. Have you ever felt that way when you're, when you're seeing someone uh, ex express Thanksgiving, like on social media or whatever, you're like, wake up, bro, right? That, 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 that you feel like they are denying reality. Like, dude, have you watched the internet or have you seen the news? Have you paid attention at all? But listen, Thanksgiving is not a denial of reality. It's a, it's a choice on what you're gonna focus on. It's not a denial of reality. It is a choice about what you're going to focus on. It is expressing your angst to God in prayer and weaving within that angst, thanksgiving. That God, I am so lonely right now, but you are close to the lonely. I am so frustrated right now, but you heal the heart of, of, of those that, that, are, that are hurting. God, I am suffering, but you are close to those that are suffering. It is finding a way to be brutally honest and at the same time, finding a way, and it's a discipline, it's the discipline of thanksgiving, finding a way to express thanksgiving. Let me show you another example. This is Paul in Ephesians 1, um, another prison epistle. He's awaiting his unknown fate. And you would think that the book of Ephesians would be written with all kinds of angst when Paul writes it, because he's writing it uncertain about his future and writing it from prison. You would think that he would start out like, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This food stinks. The accommodations are awful. Somebody bust me out of here. Right, you think about Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm tired of this. You would think that's how he would start out the letter. Let me show you how he starts it out. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us and him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven 
and on earth under Christ. He is choosing what he sees. And he is choosing what he wants to focus on in a very, very difficult season of life. He says, I may be in prison, and I may, not, I may be uncertain about my future, but God has adopted me, he has blessed me, he loves me, he has forgiven my sin, and I am going to choose to be thankful about that. Let's go back to the beginning of the text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, don't forget to weave that in there, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In every situation, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will stand like a soldier in your life, guarding your heart and your mind in, uh, in Christ Jesus. And this is undoubtedly true. Undoubtedly true. Thanksgiving results in peace. And we're just in a season right now, guys, where this is super hard, and we've been inundated with bad news, and we should pray about those things, but I wonder what would happen if in the midst of the bad news, right? yeah, there's a pandemic, but God is sovereign. Yes, I'm uncertain about my future, but the Lord is with me. Yes, I'm unsure about what the, 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 this is gonna do with our health, but I serve the great healer who, who is with me every step of the way. I wonder if we just began to search for things about God to be thankful in, and we began to express those things to him. I talked a little bit about my dad this morning. He, um, my dad had been in a state of decline, um, kind of mentally and with his body, really for 15 to 20 years. Um, we've been married almost 17 years, and really for almost our whole marriage, Cheryl's kind of known my dad in a state of decline. And so I had started to notice that one of the things that when my sister and I would talk a lot, my, my sister and I would often talk about the decline. That it had just been so long and so present that we talked about the decline. And one of the great joys that has happened over the last two weeks was hearing from family and friends, but friends in particular, that knew my dad before the decline. And they began to just kind of tell me stories and remind me of things that I had kind of forgotten about because I was so focused on managing the decline and helping dad with the decline and, and all that stuff. But they would say, hey, remember, uh, I lived with my dad for a couple years during college. And a couple of my friends were like, hey, remember, like every Friday night, uh, we would go to your dad's and we would watch Friday night, uh, Friday night fights, Friday night boxing. My dad loved boxing. It's like, oh yeah, I, I do remember that. Or, or remember this from your childhood or remember that from your teenage years. And it... it it was a blessing to me to be reminded of those things outside of the decline. And it was also a reminder to me that I get to choose what I'm gonna focus on. And you do too. We can focus on the, the negative and the hard and the bad. And sometimes there's seasons where you just have to do that. Um, or you can focus on something different. Paul teaches us that in addition to our prayer life, he, he wants us to think about our thought life at the tail end of this text, he says, I wanna, just, I wanna encourage you to begin to train your mind to focus on some other things. I want you to focus on what is true. I want you to train your mind to focus on what is true. Uh, one of the things, have you heard this a lot or, or, or is this just me? That one of the things that I have heard a lot during the pandemic and the political season that we've been in is like, 
this statement. I don't know what to believe. This side is saying this. This side is saying, I don't know what to believe. And we can get so focused on that, that it's anxiety inducing. That I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what is true. And Paul kind of says the opposite. He says, when, when you're in that situation and you don't know what to believe, focus on what you know for sure. Focus on the things that you know are true. Focus on Jesus. Focus on the relationships with the people that you love. Focus on the resurrection. Focus on, on, on what you know for sure. Focus on what is true. What is noble. We would, in our culture, we would refer to these as um, the feel-good stories that you come across and things that are good and noble and kind. He said, search those things out. Focus on that. Think about that. Think about what is noble. Think about what is right, just, and godly. Think about what is pure, good, and lovely. Focus on what is admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. This became, when Cheryl and I were first married, before we um, ever had kids, this text was important to us enough that we put it on a wall of our house. So every time we walk past our kitchen, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I decided to take my ball and go home a few months ago in terms of I was spending a lot of time on news and social media, and I was just, I was getting inundated with what was wrong and bad and unkind. And I realized a couple months ago that there is still a lot in this world to celebrate and rejoice in and focus on. And I wanna focus on that. It says when you learn to focus on that, it will result in thanksgiving, it has to, and thanksgiving will result in peace. What Paul wants for you, what I want for you, is peace. Because we're all anxious, afraid, angsty, frustrated, and ready for 2020 to, don't let the door hit you, 2020, don't let the door hit you, right? I think we're all ready for that, but it is a reminder to us that we get to control what we pray about, and we get to control what we think about, and we focus on and pray about what is good, noble, kind, excellent, praiseworthy. When we focus on those things, it results in thanksgiving, and thanksgiving always results in peace. So how do we get there? Because this almost could sound like a little bit rah-rah, you know, you know, live your best life now sort of thing. It, it, it could sound like that, except for Paul's phrase that he uses repeatedly. And one of the phrases that Paul loves that he uses in this text that I want to close with is one little phrase that I want to be the mantra of my life and the mantra of yours. And here's the phrase, in the Lord. Paul, in a lot of his writings, he uses this phrase again and again and again. Rejoice in the Lord, always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul does not get up and say, do you have, do you have any idea how much you have to be grateful about? Do you have any idea how much you have to be happy about? I'm in prison, you're not. I'm still happier than you are, right? He doesn't do that. He says, rejoice in the Lord. It's in the Lord that you find your reasons for peace and contentment and thanksgiving. So he says, this is not even possible without the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then at the end of the text, he says, he will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. He'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I believe this sense of thanksgiving in the middle of a pandemic, this sense of thanksgiving and this sense of peace, I think it's only possible in the Lord. It's in the Lord that we are reminded of the one who hears our prayers, that we're not alone. It's in the Lord that we're reminded of the one who blesses our lives, that even in the harshest of circumstances, there are blessings to be grateful for. It's in the Lord that we are reminded of the one who is sovereign, that God hasn't lost control of anything. He's still sovereign and safely in control. And it's in the Lord that we are reminded of his never-ending, never-ending grace that is available to all. So we want to spend his ever-present, ever-present grace. We want to spend a little bit of time there. We're going to receive communion together. What I want to do is give us a little bit of time to spend in the Lord. So I want to open this up with prayer, and you can just spend some time in the Lord, thanking him for who he is and what he's provided for you, and thank him for his son, Jesus. Thank him for his joy, hope, and peace. Thank him for being sovereign. Thank him for having a plan that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that God is weaving good into this narrative right now. We can thank him for all the things that he is and just spend some time in the Lord and see if that doesn't result in thanksgiving and see if thanksgiving doesn't result in peace. So I'm gonna pray. I'm going to leave a little bit of time of silence for you to pray and just rest in the Lord and then we'll receive communion together as a church family. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and all of the blessings that come from him. Right now, we want to take this time and we just want to rest in the Lord. God, it is a challenging season. It's been a challenging one for me, but I know I'm not alone on that. I know a lot of the stories of people in this room or people listening online. It's a challenging season. And so now more than ever, we want to be in you. We want to express thanksgiving. And may that thanksgiving result in peace. My prayer for all of us online and here in the room that we would read Paul's message and it would result in peace because Thanksgiving always does. No matter what's going on in the world, we have much to be thankful for in Christ Jesus. So it is of no surprise to me that Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord. That's how Paul could have such a sense of joy is it was founded in the Lord And no Roman emperor, pandemic, king or queen can take that away. And we're grateful. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. His body given for your life and given for your joy. His his blood poured out. Thank you guys for coming. I pray that you would leave this place in peace and grace, joy and hope and that you would have a great week ahead of you. And uh, join us next week, either live or online. We're going to be starting uh, a new series, like I mentioned, called The Spirit of Christmas. We're just going to look at Christmas past, future, and present. God bless.